Welcome to the show, Mr. Dennis Stroop. What's going on? Hey, Felipe, how you doing? I'm good, man. Good, 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 good. Oh, I like the, the nature shot. Yeah, I thought we'd set up in the backyard this morning. It's uh, not too terrible hot just yet, so give it a few minutes. Perfect. <laughs> I, my only caveat is, yeah, I'm out back here with the dog, so I'm going to try and keep everybody you know, calm with a couple of snaps every now and again. So <laughs> I'll just make my disclosure for that. Half of my guests have had dogs that have been on the show, so it's totally cool. Okay. It's Great. a dog. The audience is dog-friendly. So yeah, okay, good deal. Yeah, yeah I've, I have found that that's another interesting thing, Felipe, is as we've learned in this new work from home environment, I think initially, there was a strong desire to make sure that we kept the kids and the dogs and everything else about our typical lives, kind of behind the curtain. Yeah. Uh, what we learned is that, you know, I see that you're, you know, in your home there, you're comfortable, you've got a nice arrangement, that's nice. I'm learning something about you, I think is, as part of this situation, one of the things that's been really in, enlightening is, we're developing more empathy, in my opinion, because we, we get to know and learn about each other a little bit more. Uh, and I think that's of a benefit as humans. If we can't be physically together as we typically are, at least we're maybe learning a little bit more about each other in this way. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what drew me to you, like right out the gate. We were on the call and because you had your camera on, I had my camera on. You weren't even talking. Other people were talking and I saw you reacting to what they were saying. And I was like, Dennis is a guy that I need to know well. <laughs> And it just, it put, but if we never would have had cameras on, I never would have even knew you existed. Yeah. You know, we never would have met and talked. And we have, I think we have lots of things in common. I think so too. And, and thank you again for this opportunity, uh, Felipe. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Any, any chance we get to dish and, and see inside the mind of a designer is always great. The audience response has been phenomenally large. You're helping to encourage new people. And also keep the people in, in. Because <laughs> they know yeah. they could get a chance to work with Dennis. Like, I know I want to work with you. Like, the first chance I get. Welcome to the EBFC Show. The easier, better, for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry and transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Join me and many others from the Lean Design and Construction community at their 22nd Annual Congress. It is being held virtually this year, the week of October 19th. Our theme is the ABCs of Lean, transformation through actions, best practices, and coaching. Register at www.lcicongress.org forward slash 2020. Check the show notes for more information. Thank you, LCI. Now to the show. Good. How are you today? Man, I am doing fantastic, Dennis. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Now let's not skip the pleasantries. Doing really well. Uh, started my day super early. I'm doing a, uh, a Scrum product owner certification this morning with Scrum Inc., and uh, I'm getting it's it's like the last certification I could get, and I've I've checked, I've checked, I got them all. You now the only thing missing is for me to actually do it all. Right. Yes. You know you're gonna have to get that additional business card to fit all the acronyms yes. there after your name. How about you? How's your morning going? So far, so good. Fridays uh, these days uh, we're on summer hours, and so we try to do our four nine and a four uh, on a Friday situation, and so. Uh, usually I've got some project specific things stacked up for me on a Friday morning and then it's kind of wrap up from this week and already looking forward to next week for me for Friday. So starting to plan ahead for next week, thinking about what's coming up. No, that is good. I just heard from a guy that I follow on YouTube and he recommends that people plan the next week, like on Sunday night mm. or the, the last work day. And I thought, wow, man, I've been missing out. I have not done that. I usually spend a good chunk of my time planning on Monday morning. Mm. Yeah. It's great to hear an architect planning oh. the work week. Man, that's just like music to general contractors' ears, Dennis. I'll bet. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, that's definitely something that we have a, a, a good acumen for. I think that I run in a crowd that's uh, really vested in thinking about uh, what it means to not just be reactive, but to be proactive, you know, and try and be able to be out in front of things. So, Oh, that's great. Definitely. I know we're already engaged. Our organizations are engaged in work right now. Some of what I think I want to be talking about is as a great story uh, with sure. regard to the engagement that HCA has with McCarthy. So, Welcome, Dennis Stroop, to the podcast. Super glad to have you on. 
why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little something about yourself. Absolutely, Felipe, and thank you again for this opportunity. Well, as you mentioned, my name is Dennis Stroop. I am a healthcare principal with uh, HGA, Architects and Engineers. Uh, I work out of our Sacramento office. Uh, one of my other roles within HGA is I am also the practice group leader uh, for healthcare here in Sacramento as well. Uh, my experience has been uh, 25 years in architecture. Uh, the last uh, 15 or so have been in, in solely in acute healthcare in California, so Oshpod work uh, predominantly. Um, in the last 10 years, I've been more and more deeply involved in uh, uh, an integrated and um, you know, lean practices and delivering projects. Uh, that's also seen my involvement in the Lean Construction Institute. Uh, first, as a consumer, uh, and then later as a contributor. Uh, uh, I'm on my second lap right now with the uh, core group uh, for Northern California and our community of practice here. Uh, and I also co-chair training uh, for LCI here in Northern California. Very cool. Yeah, I'm also a big uh, LCI consumer and volunteer. So it's good. There's one, the first thing we have in common right away. Yes. How long ago would you say you discovered uh, this whole idea of lean? Wow, my entry point uh, into lean was on a project that I was on. It was a, it was a significant uh, hospital expansion for a private community hospital, actually up here in Placerville, it's Marshall Hospital. They were doing uh, their North Wing edition. Um, and we were engaged with uh, a mechanical engineer, uh, capital engineering, uh, Brian Johnson specifically, who actually at the time was the, uh, he was the chair of the Northern California COP for LCI. And um, big kickoff meeting, we were getting things going and he introduced the concept of the last planner system. Uh, and the goal was to try and understand where we were going to be ready for steel procurement. And uh, it was so enlightening for me and just that simple kind of a, a, a just flipping scheduling as traditionally we understood it, which was a very push kind of a system into this is our preferred date in order to erect and if we need x time to and it really began to lay bare sort of the steps that we needed and all the 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 integration points that that those two things are were really the key for me in, in my introduction into lean there's another way to think about it number one and number two it, it's so much bigger than just yourself and it's more robust uh when it involves uh, you know the entire team participating and that's something that really just struck a chord with me so that was my entry point Man, that's great and then i was it a success would you from your opinion did you get everything you wanted and more so it was definitely an introduction it was an introduction to the concept of lean uh it was an introduction also to lci for me and uh so both of those things i i've seen kind of progress for me personally and then just in the industry uh progressing over these years has just been really fun uh, to watch and be a part of. I think that says a lot. Uh, you know, you hit 1989. I mean, so boom, I feel good. You know, I'm not too old, not too young. I'm in the Goldilocks <laughs> zone here. And you stayed with it for over 20 years. I mean, that says a lot about the value that you're getting out of these types of thinking and ways of working. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, for me, it was, uh, again, so eye-opening. And uh, we, we started to see it, of course, on, on some of the larger, more significant projects. They tended to be healthcare, And so that was certainly within my wheelhouse. Uh, obviously, I've since learned that it does not have to be a billion-dollar hospital project to leverage these things on. Um, we've seen some success now kind of taking that philosophy and that set of tools, that mindset, and, and applying it to everything from managing a book of work that includes a single client with 50 projects, of course, to you know, leveraging it on something like what we just seen our most recent success, I would say, has been for a, uh, a client in Roseville, uh, Sutter Health. We just delivered a pretty major expansion for them. Full-blown IFOA, co-located team, four years, 80% of my time out there in the co-location not only leveraging uh, what we had available to us, but also taking that and morphing it into whatever the, the project really needed at that point. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, you're close, and you're close to home too, and near the home office. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah, that was not, not a bad deal. Yeah, the North Sacramento area is a, it's a good, unique spot. I think the, the hospitals in this area are probably the largest employers here. I think there's yeah. three, three or four big health systems in this area, the North Sacramento area, and 
it's been interesting with the the pandemic to see you know the the hospitals here being able to take care of some of the overflow from sacramento itself have mm-hmm. you seen or heard anything has that has the pandemic changed the design of some of the things in flight well absolutely yeah uh felipe most definitely has uh, has turned uh, a lot of things uh very introspectively i think for a lot of providers uh, I think some would say, and I've talked to other folks uh, within the industry as well, that would have identified that there have been certain wastes uh, within healthcare delivery from the owner's perspective for a long time, and that something like this has just really shined a, wa- uh, a white hot light on what those things are and where those opportunities for improvement are. Um, healthcare has been, in many people's opinion, overbuilt for some time. Uh, the idea of a very large mega hospital is is really starting to get, I think, some second thought. What does telemedicine look like right now? There's, a, I think, a huge, uh, gonna, we're going to see a huge surge in what telemedicine is going to be doing starting now and into the future. Um, it makes sense from the provider standpoint. I think that culturally, I think that we're moving into uh, kind of a situation where people are more adept and able to. I mean, look at us here, Felipe. We've been yeah. in a working from home situation since, for me personally, end of March. Oh, uh, I, I, I got a, you a little bit there, Dennis. I started first week of March. Okay, so as you know, <laughs> yeah, <first laughs> having week. broken, <laughs> yeah, having broken that trail, uh, as you know. So uh, we've we've become accustomed to it. I would say that it really wasn't uh, culturally from a. Uh, uh, a standpoint of how we typically deliver design and in my preferred method, which is full contact engagement, you know, with mm-hmm. large groups of people and doing that. Um, still my preferred method and looking forward to getting back to that, but we can't ignore uh, what we've been able to do over these last several months. And I think from the provider standpoint, um, our ability to help with uh, looking at thought leadership, uh, really leveraging research is something that uh, HDA is doing. I would say very well uh, to understand from a wide perspective from the clientele that we see nationally, uh, both academic medical centers to you know critical access hospitals, the needs are going to be different, but there's certainly common threads that are running through all that. So it's been exciting, uh, even in this current situation that we're in, to see that we have an opportunity to improve. And so uh, certainly not the way that you would want to trigger that, but we can certainly find the opportunity, I think, within it. Yeah, I mean, the the core idea that I've met a lot of lean thinkers and a lot of folks like the the Glenn Ballards, the the Greg Howells, and many others, many, many others, like my, one of my favorites, Edward Stemming, mm. or as like he was known by his friends as Ed. I didn't get to call him that, but it would have been cool. <laughs> and uh, it's just that I, simple idea of things can be better. It's so fundamental. We just overlook it. Sometimes we get so into the details that we forget about that little part that we can still make it better. We can have fun at work, right, Dennis? Absolutely. Well, I am about that, Felipe, most yeah. definitely. I, I'd measure that in smiles per hour, yes. <laughs> smiles smiles per hour is going to be my new KPI. I'm going to steal that from you, Dennis. Smiles per hour. That's a great one, man. When we met, was virtually. Uh, you were on the core team at, in the Northern California community practice, which is like, I think one of the largest uh, LCI COPs, definitely one of the oldest, if not the first or the second, right? Is it the first or the second? I think you would know. Uh, you know what, it's uh, in, in my entry point, I know it was just really getting going. Um, and it has grown to the point to where Northern California has af- actually bifurcated into a sort of a Central Valley component headquartered in Sacramento and a Bay Area component. Um, I would say from my perspective that it is one of the COPs that is really looked to as a thriving COP and uh, others are certainly, you know, we're, we're, we have the ability to help other, you know, emerging COPs, you know, give them some advice. This is uh, some of the things that we have encountered and, you know, your ability to provide content and things like that. So it's been a privilege to be able to give back not only to your community of practice, but also help other community yeah. to practice get going no it's it's just definitely true like it is the the bar that we all measure ourselves to i've got friends in the oklahoma cop the florida the the new york i myself sit on the team with the st louis mm-hmm. and we we steal from you guys constantly <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah i like the thing that uh james led the last meeting mm-hmm. and he called it the uh what do you call it the salad talk 
Uh, yes, our salad chat. Yes. The salad chat. Yeah, can you tell people what's the salad chat at the beginning of the meeting? So a salad chat is when we were meeting in person, uh, we would uh, often have a uh, kind of a sit down dinner situation. Um, the speaker to have the ability to really gauge sort of uh, based on what it is they wanted to present uh, an open ended leading question to the rest of the group and the groups would get together at their table, generally six to eight folks and have a discussion uh, about the topic that the speaker was looking to find out, you know, taking the temperature of the room. And um, there would be a, uh, one, a delegate at each table who would report out, you know, after self-introductions, uh, report out what our group thought about whatever this particular topic was. And it would often be really informative for the speaker to understand what the baseline of the audience was, what the general level of understanding, where maybe some of the focus wanted to be in the presentation. So, uh, and it was also an icebreaker for the folks who may be at the table. Um, if I would go from a, with a group of folks from my organization, I would always encourage us to be able to spread out. I wouldn't want to see one HGA table. I'd like to see yeah. someone from HGA at multiple tables and just get to know folks. And so it's also a great icebreaker uh, for the uh, folks sitting at the table as well. Oh, and then when you guys, you had to, we had to have an online meeting instead of face-to-face, -face, which I got to attend, which was yes. nice. And you still did the salad chat. That was, that was a great example of adaptation. Like, boom, really quick. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So Felipe, one of the things that we learned is that, and you and I are on a Zoom meeting right now, uh, as the host, you have the ability to set up a breakout room, uh, with just the two of us, it would be lonely because we'd be yeah. in separate rooms, but, uh, yeah, it would um, be. and, uh, it's also something that we're leveraging, not just in our COP meetings, but, uh, in other various components, if we're engaging clients and oftentimes we would want to have breakout groups to get some intense thinking for multiple um, you know, camps simultaneously. Uh, we would usually find different tables and corners of the room. Now I have the ability to do that virtually. So here's a great example of taking what's core about lean, uh, a respect for people, um, you know, continuous improvement, uh, taking the tools that we already know and understand and leveraging them in another way to be able to continue to facilitate in, in the way that we would have, I'll, I'll call it in person, but now virtually. And so we've, we've done it in interview prep. We've done it as part of our uh, engagement with clients uh, early in a design effort where we can get still groups of people to go out and then spend a period of time, 30 minutes, an hour, what have you, and then return back to the larger group and likewise have report outs. We can collect collateral on a, on a virtual whiteboard. Someone can take minutes. Uh, there's many ways that we can bring that data back to the bigger group, consolidate it, and then begin to refine things. Uh, in that way as well. So leveraging technology in such a way that you can um, adapt the things that we used to do from a lean perspective in this new virtual environment, I think is going to be the new differentiator. And so uh, what encourages me about our community, you know, the lean community, is that um, we've already got that mindset, uh, you know, uh, that we, we are never satisfied with what we're doing today but we know that there's always a way that we can modify something, run it again, check it, make an adjustment, you know, the PDCA kind of loop uh, that we would engage. And um, that, that's been so exciting to see those kinds of things happening. Um, so that would be, the salad chat would be an example of leveraging technology to, to just have a simple breakout for a smaller group that I can bring back to the larger audience. Yeah, it was a pleasant surprise because I had been to the in-person, did not expect it for the virtual, and then got to make a, a couple friends in that little salad chat, which was nice. I connect I, and coincidentally just connected with another architect. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's good. It's good to make another friend. <laughs> yeah, as I often joke when I'm when I'm talking to project teams, like some of my best friends are actually architects. True story. <laughs> I wouldn't be ashamed to hang out with you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you could you could tell people like you know you know a general contractor or two. Oh, that's right. So, you know, the, the salad chat is, is an example. Uh, I wanted to cite another kind of anecdotal example, uh, Felipe, that actually has a, a very nice McCarthy and HGA story to it. And sure, so, go ahead. Uh, our organizations are engaged right now for uh, an expansion and a reservation for the, uh, for the UC Davis Health System, uh, the I-Center. Uh, They're at the UCD campus in Sacramento. And um, that project began in a big room situation, design build kind of an approach, but leveraging lean tools and processes. And so we began in a big room situation and we had to make that adjustment. 
So one of the things that I, I have to commend, uh, you know, your um, design manager, a fellow by the name of Bobby DeWeese, really bright oh, young yeah. man. Um, Shout out to Bobby. Yeah. Bobby's our guy. Uh, nice. So Bobby working closely with uh, Glenn Sullivan, uh, Sully Sullivan yeah. in HGA uh, to develop a protocol for pull planning. Uh, it was a level of rigor that the project had that they got together on a weekly basis to look back. How did we do in our previous week? Did we earn our plan percent complete or our PPC that we were targeting? And if not more importantly, why not? And drilling down into those five whys to understand where the breakdowns were. And again, in the spirit of continuous improvement. So, and then of course, look forward to make any adjustments that were necessary and then plan the next horizon, you know, basic pull planning type things. We bite off pieces that we know that we can chew. Uh, we can't forecast the weather a year from now, but I got a good sense of what's happening in the next two weeks. So how do we shift gears given the current situation? That was the charge that Sully and Bobby had uh, to figure out. And so very quickly they had identified um, two things that they had at their disposal. Uh, something as simple as what we're doing right now, we're well familiar with it. Uh, perhaps we need to get some kind of a uh, FaceTime yeah. uh, situation going so that we can have an individual in a room because we were still moving post-it notes at that point. So, you know, sure. how do we say yes or no to commit to these things and understand what those were? And that worked for a little while. And then we figured out we didn't have enough iPhones to, you know, make the FaceTime thing work. And so they moved the whole situation. They replicated what we had on the whiteboard into a simple spreadsheet that they were able to put together and leverage Bluebeam, something wow. that most folks have. It's native, yeah. uh, it's intuitive, people know and understand it. Um, they can open up a session in such a way that you still own your task and you and only you can make a commitment or move that commitment after you've coordinated with anybody else who may be impacted by that. And so they set up a new paradigm using simple tools, but still had the same set of rigor that we had for go, no, go, who, who was going to be able to move commitments, who we else we needed in the room. I couldn't commit for somebody else. So all the rules still applied, but we had to change the sandbox that we were playing. And so the, um, that was a huge win for the project. It's something that the owner reflected back. Um, so glad we didn't throw this out. Uh, we didn't fall back into old patterns we adapted and overcame in this situation. It's a testament to the folks who were on the project and the owner, quite frankly, for continuing to encourage this. It would be so easy, as you can imagine, in this situation just to say, hey, listen, we're in a position where we can't just do this anymore. But they found a way, you know, again, in that mindset, that philosophy, it's still imbued in everything that they're doing. But they found another gear. They found the ability to uh, be able to shift that in such a way that it's still successful for them. They are still you know, meeting weekly, they still have a 15 minute huddle, a scrum. Uh, you'd be yeah. good to, uh, happy to know that. <laughs> I, uh, I am very happy to know that. <laughs> yeah. That their ability to be nimble and make adjustments, not just every seven days when the crank turns, but daily in that 15 minute huddle, they can make that adjustment. So um, it's, it's a really, uh, a really great story, I think, about how that project and that group of folks uh, saw an opportunity in a really unpleasant situation to not throw in the towel, but to move the ball down the field. And so it's really encouraging to hear stories like that and others where we're finding ways to make that happen. Yeah, I love Sully said too, one of his takeaways was that uh, people could now read his tags because it went digital. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sully in his left-handed handwriting, uh, yeah. God bless him. He's a wonderful individual, yeah. a dear friend of mine. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he can read the tags now, exactly. Yeah, you know, the, the first time that I ever saw uh, pool planning in design was with one of your your partners was Vicky. Do oh, you remember yeah. Vicky? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was probably four years ago. And I got an, a friend of mine, was they were doing a job with you guys uh, in, the, in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And we actually went to your office and uh, they invited me just to be a fly on the wall. They're like, you're going to like this. You need to see this. And at, at that time, I had done uh, pool planning for, you know, half a decade, always in construction. And this was my first time seeing it with designers. Mm -hmm. And when I saw Vicky was there, uh, Ron McGlory was there. So it's like the two 
you know, Ron McGlory is like the guy, you know, if, for those, for people that don't know, he's like lean royalty, you know, in the, and he's a structural engineer, right? So there you go. Another, another non-construction person, but a designer, mm-hmm. you know, I'm an electrical engineer by training. So I mean, mm-hmm. near and dear to my heart is any type of engineering folk, any building people. Mm-hmm. And to watch Vicky and Ron negotiate with each other for what they were going to do and how they were going to hand off it completely changed my approach to pool planning. Mm, 100% mm. got better. And uh, I even got yelled at by one of my people for talking too much in the back because <laughs> we were distracting the pool plan. I was just getting so excited and giddy. I was talking to my friend who invited me there and we couldn't, uh, I kept asking all these like things like, how does Vicky know that her team can do that? And then, you know, like little things like that. And it was just really cool. They actually slowed down and educated me. Oh. Yeah. And it's totally helped. Uh, I think now I'm about 50-50 working with construction teams that are already in flight and then working with uh, teams that are still in the design. It's about half half now, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And I, and, I, and I owe, you know, Vicky and Ron a ton for being so patient with me so many years ago mm-hmm. and just teaching. And Ron has told people too, and as did Vicky at the time, before she retired that, uh, you know, just ask questions. Like, that's one of the coolest things. Like, you know, you're talking about Bobby and Sully getting together and just working with the client. I remember, I think Samara was just asking, how can we keep doing this? Mm -hmm. Right. And the team, you know, they responded to the call and they're, Mm -hmm. that's going to be a great story. I mean, there are a lot of great stories happening despite, all the challenges we're dealing with with covid mm-hmm. i remember we have a, a large healthcare client that's uh in california you probably work for them as well at times and they said that uh you know some of the people in their organization thought when the pandemic hit this would probably be like march march april time period 2020 how can we keep doing lean like they were thinking like how can we and i said why don't you just ask the people that work for you and that turned out to be, uh, it turned out to be a, a two-hour-long meeting, where fifteen different companies presented on how they've pivoted during COVID, and it was, it was exactly like you said. People just got together, collaborated, honored that respect for people, answered the call, and using very simple tools that they already had. Nobody had to spend an extra dollar. Yes. To make it happen, and the client was left speechless. And they, and they said that we're taking this back inside and we're going to share this with our people as like a, a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. And that's had like so many positive side effects since. Mm-hmm. Do you find that, uh, does your phone ring? I mean, besides me calling you and asking for stuff, does, what kind of calls do you get like asks for help related to, to lean or just more together type of practices? Well, that's interesting because um, no one has really specifically made the call. I would say that most of um, what we're hearing right now is from our clients looking for thought leadership about um, how you're addressing things right now in the kind of near six month term and then sort of long term. Um, it's it's really been um, uh, nice for us to be able to maybe help spearhead some of those things. And so, as you mentioned, Felipe, you know, we, we, we all had to make the adjustment, you know, when uh, HDA, for example, we went from 11 offices to, you know, over 800 offices overnight wow. as everybody started working from home. And so um, with that, um, we all just had to, you know, get to the point to where we, we had to quickly adapt to this, uh, you know, and, and move on. And it wasn't just with, um, our clients, you know, and we're still talking to our clients about, sure. you know, their needs and, and how things can keep going for them. But we just continue to behave in such a way and we invite others to to come along. Um, there are certainly some clients who are, I'll say, more sophisticated in that regard, Felipe, that have always been of that mind and are certainly supporting and encouraging the continued development of how we're doing things now virtually from a lean perspective. But perhaps what's been more encouraging is other clientele who may have been curious but never really engaged in it are even more so now. I mean, yeah. and, and there's a much more compelling reason. 
And what's terrific is there's this long, as you pointed out earlier, there's great stories and there's a long history of, of things that have been successful and, and are continuing to develop using simple tools, but are adhering to the philosophy and the practice. And so that, in my opinion, is probably um, the, the bigger opportunity at this moment is to engage with clients who may not have historically had interest in or have only been curious about but now are kind of looking in and seeing that as other things are continuing to move forward with success how can they replicate that success right now yeah i don't i remember like early in the pandemic it's like every every other thing in my linkedin feed was about a covid webinar <laughs> you know for for a while and they're still i mean they're still happening now it's it's already august Mm -hmm. And we're still seeing, you know, quite a bit of that from some of the larger nonprofits now. It's like all the little consultants got there first, and now the big nonprofits are on the the end of the tail, right? As we as we move into the fall, mm -hmm. and a lot of conferences got postponed or went virtual. Mm -hmm. That's been interesting to see. So that's mm -hmm. good that you're still, you know, engaging the clients at a very high level and. We are we are always happy that you're still designing and drawing because that means there'll be work for us in the future. Yes, right, right, right. right. That's good to hear. But mm -hmm. do you get any any calls like from your people inside your company, like they, they recognize? Oh, like Dennis is on this lean construction group. What kind of questions do you get from newer people or just people that don't know what lean is? Because they mm -hmm. still there are many people out there still, right, Dennis, that don't know what lean thinking is. There's a few, if you can imagine. Yes, there, there are a few. Um, and I'd, I would say that, yes, there have been those kinds of calls. So from an internal perspective uh, in Sacramento and specifically within healthcare, uh, we developed a lean process uh, for our staffing coordination. And so this is our internal staffing coordination from the project management to the project architect to the um, you know, production support folks and how we leverage folks in an efficient way across multiple principles and across multiple you know, projects. And we called it our staffing stand-up. It was a 15 minute uh, huddle. Uh, we had two boards that we established because we would look at this week and we would look at next week. And so again, our day, our meeting on Monday morning would begin with how did we do last week? Did we learn anything? We always try to apply learning that occurred. And then that makes us change this coming week. And then of course we forecast the second week as well. So we had a process that we would get together, stand up meeting, everybody standing in front of these two boards and we would run through what our staffing requirements for. We would have uh, a monitor up, you know, that we would reference for our backlog that would take us, you know, forecasting six or eight months out. So we see the long view and then we see that short view. And so it's, it's very much like how we would facilitate a poll planning where we understand the big picture aggregate overall schedule. We understand the various design elements or construction elements. And then we look at that fine detail kind of as Romana would describe sort of the, the boulders, the cobble and the pebbles, you know, that yeah. level of, of detail. Well, no one wants to or is coming back into the office anymore. And so I offered to, you know, do the FaceTime thing, but sure. that wasn't really as efficient. And so we moved that process into something that was virtual and electronic. So similar to how we're meeting right now, a Zoom meeting, yeah. still 15 minutes, still involves the same points of discussion. But now I have something that I can take to my peers in other offices and even internally how we support other market sectors. You know, we have folks that are cross-trained to work on a museum or a uh, fine arts center that can also do a medical office building or a hospital addition. And so we've got people that can play both sides of the coin. And so we can share staff and buoy other markets that may have, you know, um, different looks at what their backlog might be, where healthcare is continuing to, for the most part, be strong. Others might be, uh, you know, not doing as well. And so we have that ability to do that. Yeah, so those so are the kinds of, those are the kinds of calls. I'm sorry to interrupt Felipe. Uh, that we've been getting to talk about, Dennis, how have you been managing your staffing when everyone is spread out now and working from home? How do you keep a, an understanding about where folks are at, where the gaps might be, where people might be overburdened, and so we can level out the workload? Yeah, that's perfect. That's where I was going to take you, like, bring bring me back home to how, how you're helping, because I know you're a helper, because I, I called on you and asked for help, and you just, you didn't even think about it. You were like an instant yes. So that's great to to see. 
our, our office here in the, the Roseville office, McCarthy's office, some similar type of thing where they made the flip. Somebody on the staff volunteered to make it digital and then they've continued to check in. And now um, there's now there's a large contingent of people back in the office. So it's kind of, it's gone back inside and, but there's still people calling in remote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Do you get any, uh, like visitors from outside of California ever coming in to do some cross-functional things with your office locally. And then hearing, is there, is, do you see a difference between, you know, you said you had 11 offices. Is there a cultural difference among the different offices, you know, versus like here? Well, there's certainly is geographic uh, differences, you know, and in market differences, depending on where you're at in the, uh, in the country. Um, but what's really cool and unique about HGA is that, um, you know, we have the ability because we work with, you know, so, so many other really bright folks in other parts of the country uh, that we can engage together and collaborate together on projects no matter where we are. Um, it's a habit that we would have had, I'll call it pre-COVID, uh, where I may fly to, um, you know, somewhere in the Midwest to um, help, you know, be, be part of the preliminary coaching of a project team that might be integrating on an IPD project for their first time. And so sharing some of those experiences or, or perhaps called into, you know, in, in California, one of the things that HGA does is in healthcare in, in all of our offices. So we definitely have um, some similar stories. We have some similar challenges whether it's related to Oshpot or a common client that we all share. So yes, it would run both gamuts where um, I might engage some uh, programming thought leadership uh, that I might have in the Midwest on a project here in California or vice versa. I might come and help facilitate pull planning, for example, on a project team that allows their folks to wear the hats that they need to in their roles on the project. I can come in and help be a facilitator for some of those processes as well. Um, I can tell you that right now I'm engaging with some folks uh, from the Midwest on a pursuit uh, that we're engaged in and we meet virtually uh, running through, for example, our, our, our pursuit rationale. Once again, leveraging what we have in Zoom to do breakout meetings. You know, I'm, I'm talking about uh, leadership in a big room. We've got folks in the Midwest who are talking about design and how we engage our clients and uh, how we go through our extreme scheme process or our 3P process to um, how do we, if we can't be there together and build an entire room in cardboard, how are we leveraging virtual reality in, in this time right now to be able to share with you our design uh, thoughts? And we might be in Milwaukee, we might be in Minneapolis, but we can share with our client here in uh, Sacramento uh, with the headset here's how you can experience this kind of spatially by using the, the VR. And so it's very exciting to see how those kinds of things are happening right now as well. And so, yes, we do get the call. We do share that kind of information. Our ability to work with anybody uh, at any time is just being conscious of the time zone these days. Yeah. 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 I, I've been up since 4 a.m. today working with some folks on the East Coast. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, man. That's why I have the blackout curtains in the room. So I just pretend I just get into the time zone. There was a day this week, Dennis, where I was convinced that I was in central standard time all day. <laughs> when, I, when I came out of my room, I was like, what's for dinner? And my family's yeah. like, it's too early. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's your dog's name? Uh, so this is Max, everybody. Max. This, is, this is Max. Maxwell up, Max? J-Dog. Yes. Maxwell J. Dog, yeah, yeah, full name with a middle name. Oh yeah, well he gets to hear it from time to time. But uh, yeah, he's the he's the big one of the group. We got a small, a medium, and a large, and so I'm out in their uh, in their space right now here this morning. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, we've got uh, you know another cool thing that I love about your firm. Uh, I I practice like it's no secret that I practice Scrum. There's you could probably see a couple of scrum books over my shoulder on my bookcase and uh, Jeff Sutherland knows he's one of my mentors. And uh, when I was first getting into it, I bumped into somebody from your office and they, they had me come and talk Do we did a lunch and learn mm-hmm. at your Santa Monica office before you moved to the new one. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like I died and went to heaven. I was in a room with 45 people excited to designers excited to learn about, Scrum, some of them had already been doing it for a couple of years, mm-hmm. like myself, like just guerrilla scrum, like quietly, you know, and then 
and then it just and it, it became bigger and and to talk about it and now i bump into to people and you just mentioned today that 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 team is is doing some scrum things mm-hmm. on on that team here in in the sacramento area what uh what have you seen like from your your purview how long ago was it when scrum came on the horizon and became like a a word mm. Um, well, I'll share my experience. And so for, uh, for me personally, uh, Felipe, I, I started to become, uh, you know, hearing about it. You know, this is still sort of early on in my engagement with, uh, with Lean as it related to my entry point was through LCI. And so we started to hear terms like Agile. Uh, we started to hear terms like Scrum. We started to hear things like Six Sigma and things like that. And so I, I see this, I guess, as, you know, um, tactics and tools uh, that you can apply uh, to the various aspects of your, your project or your life, you know, whatever it is that you need to kind of manage and move forward. Um, and so Scrum I see is coming up more and more. Uh, and so it's certainly starting to really pop up on my radar, um, I would say over the last 18 months or so. Um, I, I would have to be, uh, I, I'd have to be transparent and admit I don't have a deep understanding of it. And so I'm looking forward to your upcoming uh, webinars on that topic. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, a little commercial. No, worries. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's I, we, one of the cool things about in my job is that uh, I get to help people and engage with those that, that want to get after it. And like, that's just something that, that we can connect on anytime, Dennis. Like okay. there is no cost for, to have me invite me to something to talk about scrum. We've onboarded thousands of people in the design community to the scrum framework. So take advantage of me, man. I will. I yeah. will, Felipe, and thank you. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad like in the 18 months, like I was talking to J.J. Sutherland this morning. He's the mm-hmm. CEO at Scrum Inc. now, like the most famous of all Scrum organizations, I always tell them, like, you know, kudos. It helps that the co-creator st- started the company. And uh, he was saying like, it's just been so interesting in the last six months, like almost exactly at the time that, you know, the pandemic hit, there has been an exponential demand uh, for Scrum in the design and construction community. And I said, yeah, because it just makes pivoting and being more adaptive to changes so easy. And groups, they were already doing it. Like we have a team in our office that was already doing it. When the pandemic hit and we had to go home, they didn't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. We saw their productivity actually go up and, and it stayed up. So that was, uh, you know, it was interesting. And I've heard the same, like we were talking about some some other companies and they were having some similar stories. You know, some of the startups in Silicon Valley, they were already agile and, and some that were using Scrum, like nothing changed, you know, mm-hmm. other than people got to have a cozier working environment. Or, you know, some people had to give up because there are some startups that have some really cool amenities in the office that uh, they couldn't use anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, is there anything else, Dennis, that you want to talk about uh, related to the pandemic and lean that we didn't hit on yet? Yeah, well, I would just reiterate, as, as we have discussed, and I, I think your last story is a, is a great example of that, is, you know, sometimes we talk about it, uh, you know, in as lean as a mindset change, that there's often some kind of a, a compelling reason. You know, we sometimes describe it as a burning platform. And so I couldn't imagine uh, a more uh, eminent or um, overwhelming reason to begin to consider or look at these kinds of things as we are in now. Um, and you know, and you talked about moving out of the situation that you knew that you understood well and suddenly being forced into something else. And so it wasn't even a, hey, I'm thinking about it. I'd like to learn more. I'd like to get into it. It's like a really kind of a hard shove in a direction. Yeah. And so I, I would say that uh, now is, is this tremendous opportunity for folks like you and I and others that are in the Scrum or the Lean community to be champions. Just continue to do what we're doing, um, continue to talk about and evangelize, you know, the core principles about respect for people, continuous improvement, you know, things that you can do right now, small things. This is back to a two-second Lean kind of a component where, you know, small changes even though, you know, I think, again, the change has been, the request has been large, but you can yeah. begin in small ways to begin to move things uh, in a direction. I agree with you that people who have been understanding and involved in this for some time are going to have a much more natural sort of a transition into some of this. 
but it doesn't surprise me that the call has been um, more overwhelming now. And I'd say another example would be, and we hosted at HGA, our offices in Midtown, our typical COP meetings that we would have monthly. And I would say that um, on, a, on a good day, we would, uh, we would have, you know, maybe 25 or 30 people for Sacramento would be a good number that we would sure. expect to show up in person. We held our first virtual seminar that, that you and I connected at. It was with regard to the uh, pull planning in a uh, virtual environment. We had over a hundred people had requested to wow. come to this. 80% uh, of those folks actually attended. Uh, and it ran the gamut from owners to contractors to you know our trade partnership to designers and others. Uh, and they weren't just solely local to Northern California. We saw people that attended from around the United States. Wow. And so it's clear to me that there's a great deal of interest in this right now, um, that there's uh, a significant opportunity for, uh, for champions and practitioners to continue what we had been doing in an in-person kind of a situation and open up that thinking to continuous improvement, to leverage what we have at our disposal, to continue to do these things and perhaps improve on them. Um, Felipe, I think that um, our, our work from home situation is gonna stick around in some form or fashion. And that's gonna compel us to continue to find creative ways to connect as you and I are right now and, and in other ways, to continue to do the things that we desire to do on our projects that I think more clients are gonna be looking for on these things. Uh, lean for a couple of years for me personally has no longer become a differentiator. It's just the rigor. It's just what yeah. we do, it's how we practice. And now we've got this opportunity to take that and further it, you know, to, to just further it into what we're doing virtually right now. So I think we've got a bit of a blue ocean opportunity to uh, continue to take these things and improve on them, find other unique ways to continue to do those. So it's exciting. I, I, and I, I keep saying this, I hear myself saying, yeah. you know, the situation that we're in is an exciting time. It, it sounds a little counterintuitive, but it truly you find opportunity in these kinds of situations and leveraging that to the greatest extent is I think incumbent on, on us to do right now to continue to lead the industry in that direction. No, I feel exactly the same way. Like we, we'd had a, yeah, I didn't, I don't have as much experience with lean as you do. So I'm definitely still learning from you and I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and practices with me. So thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. But about a decade ago I got involved and it was, uh, somebody that had some manufacturing experience come to work for us and and like they said the right things and hit me at exactly the right time where I got interested and stayed with it. And then now we've got uh, some of the, some of the, the calls we've had have been like the younger people coming into the workforce now and saying like, we heard about this in school and I'm just thinking, wow, I never heard about this in school. Like I worked a decade and never heard a peep. Right. And you worked decades and never heard about scrum until 18 months ago mm -hmm. and we have not done a good job of marketing, <laughs> you know, and then people to, to be excited and say, I see that you do this thing lean. What is that? And just to, to have the people asking with, with real curiosity, you know, what mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. I think that says a lot about uh, just the shifting workforce too. Mm -hmm. And that's something like you said, it's no longer going to be a differentiator. You have to do it or, or you're not going to be here tomorrow. Absolutely. Well, and, and you make a very good point too. And I, I'm encouraged to know that academia is really starting to engage in such a way where they recognize that this is legitimate. It's a thing, you know, the idea of design, bid, build, you know, transitioning into something more friendly and something that, that quite frankly, engages much more positive outcomes, you know, and so I, I, I can tell you not just anecdotally, but, you know, empirically that I've been on projects that you couldn't wait to be over. And it was, you know, there've, there've been those sort of negative experiences. Uh, we just finished up uh, and, and still wrapping up some of the renovation scopes uh, there at the Roseville project. And hearts are breaking that we're having to now go out and find and do other things. And it may not be in the same form and fashion yeah. that we have been doing it over the last four years. And that's telling that you've really made the impression that you've, you've done something that's of a benefit, um, you know, that, that people want more, obviously generationally you again you know the folks that are coming out of construction management now and, and and into that sort of mindset and they're native to it they don't understand sort of what you and i and others have been yeah. through that have had to kind of break this trail that they're just walking on now 
Um, and so there's that. And and I, the, the most compelling stories I've ever heard at the the LCI meetings were the sulky old you know superintendent, 40 years in their career, um, really hard nosed. Things got done at the end of their boot, and and they've been exposed to this. They were resistant, of course. Reluctantly, they carried on. They began to discover the benefit, and they'll they'll stand up in front of a room, and say, "You know what? I'll never do this any other way." <laughs> and yeah. so, when you when you begin to sort of get both of those kind of ends of the uh, spectrum in the workforce, um, either native to it, wouldn't do it, you know, don't know any other way, or have seen a lot, have have seen the benefit of performing in in sort of a lean and integrated fashion, and wouldn't go back to doing it another way. That that really tells you that this is something that has merit and, and deserves our, our continued focus and attention on it. No, it absolutely does. I've, I've actually known quite a few people that were on an integrated project delivery job in different parts of the country. And when that job came to an end, their next assignment was a traditional design bid build. They quit. <laughs> they actually yeah. quit the company and went to go work for, you know, different organizations that were, that had more of those IPD jobs in the portfolio just to get another at bat because they can't go backwards. And then I know another team too, that they, they were on, they'd come off of two back to back, uh, just coincidentally architect and the GC had had some back to back experiences on IPD and they were on a traditional job and they talked the owner into behaving as if it was IPD without the contract and the owner bought in and they even gave the, the general contractor, tens of thousands of dollars to create a big room and they've been reaping the benefits. It's become like a, a lighthouse to the rest of that. They're a serial builder. just coincidentally happens to be a healthcare client, mm -hmm. a serial builder. So they're constantly doing capital programs all the time. And now they're bringing their project managers to this, to this office environment, this job site to see like what's possible without the contract. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's just like, it's unheard of. That's some, that's like, they're going to be a, there should be a book written about that, Dennis, you know, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. And just look at in the, a couple of stories that you and I are sharing architects and general contractors partnering together. Mm -hmm. I remember being at uh, the DBIA conference in uh, Napa. I think it was a year ago. They hosted it in Napa and at the, uh, I saw something that I had never seen before and that I didn't think I'd ever see. And that was at the, uh, at the happy hours, I saw architects doing business development like things to general contractors, like wooing us. And I remember, I, I think I collected like 25 business cards from architects and I just felt so special. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you guys made me feel so good. So many, <laughs> so many of your friends, Dennis. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, Felipe here again is just, you know, if we think back over the, the, the sort of the history of our, our respective, uh, you know, uh, trades and, and what we do for work, you know, there's, there's historically been silos and divisions. And, you know, we were taught almost to be having this adversarial relationship, right? Yeah. Our, our job was to, you know, fight off the change orders and things like that. And we were yeah. set up contractually in a way to sort of be at odds against each other. And so, um, you know, kind of being young in my career, maybe just, you know, sort of a Pollyanna attitude about the whole thing, but I, I'm pretty affable dude. I like to get along with people. Uh, I never had any interest in kind of engaging uh, yeah. in an adversarial way, you know, with uh, who I, whom I saw as my partners uh, on this project. And it was really when you sort of, you had that, uh, that connection point that wasn't at the permit, but you had that connection point that was, you know, really at my hip as we were yeah. going through the design process, because I, I am not too proud to admit that um, folks in the trades have forgotten more than I might ever know about a particular connection or, or what's the best way to, you know, think about this thing to gain efficiency in the construction and increase safety, reliability and expedite things. And so um, I, I've learned so much, I would say in, in the last 10 years of my career, engaging on projects in this way than maybe all of my time before that because wow. of the opportunities that I've had to engage. I mean, I can sit here and read about a system or I can talk to a guy that has actually handled it and knows and really understands all the ins and outs of that system. And I'd rather do that. And, and part of that is just because I tend to be more relational anyway. And so when we talk about the contract, 
-hmm. and, and how that can either be an enabler or an inhibitor to how you want to conduct yourself in such a way. When people turn to the contract, it's often to find out how I'm going to whack somebody with something <laughs> yeah. or what, what's the penalty for something. And so yeah. when, we, when we take the contract and we, we, I, I think that what Panos did at CPMC, when he took the contract and he put it under glass and he set it out there for everybody to look at and they never opened it. They never had to go to that because there's just behaviors that are, are, are so akin to how you just want to behave as a human being anyway. Just, I don't know, intuitively, it just makes so much sense to me that this is a, a relational way to conduct business and not a transactional way uh, to conduct business. And the support structure, whether you have it contractually or not, but that you can just behave. And that goes back to the point I made earlier about, you know, I'm going to approach everything that I do in work in such a way and whether the contract supports it is irrespective of how I'm going to approach it. And I'm, I'm engaging with new owners and my new role as a principal and as the practice group leader at HGA, I've, I've done much more of that than I ever have in my career in the last you know year and a half. If, if I'm engaging with you for the first time, you're an owner on a, on a, a new project with me, I'm gonna behave as such a way and this is just the way that I do it. And I'm, I'm hoping that you're gonna find something in here that you want to carry forward in your next project and we'll continue to have those types of discussions and so i think that that we you know as as leaders that we as as, as people who are you know in the forefront and working with each other to move these things forward have a responsibility to sort of lead by example in such a way on, on projects and felipe when you walk into a room it just lights up because you've got this energy and that you're going to bring that to to yeah. everything that you're doing. Likewise, I want to I want to have that same effect that when you engage, either with your staff inside your organization and the things that you can do, to manage yourself or your business in a lean way, in person or virtually, uh, how you engage on projects, you're going to engage in such a way. Everything we do, I hope that at the end of the day that I can look back, and and maybe I'll be proud of some of the buildings that I've been involved in, but I think I'm going to look back more fondly on the engagements that we had, the friends yeah. that we made along smiles the Smiles per hour. The smiles per hour, precisely. Yeah. That's the metric I'm gonna use. <laughs> yeah. No, Dennis, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and tally the smiles per hour just in this call. Like I think it's uh <laughs> I think we're like over seven hundred. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. But it's like uh, that is exactly what it is. And you touched on something a, a couple things and I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but what you hit on when you talked about the relational part, the people part, and then you talked about put like what Panos did, putting the contract under glass, people and interactions are more important than the processes. And there's relational things that you want to do. That, Dennis, is agile. Mm. That is the core of the agile manifesto. And what people that are trying to be more adaptive have figured out have been trying to practice for decades. That's the magic. So you're just lucky that you have that good dis disposition. <laughs> you know, one way they want to call your parents and tell them they did a good job with you. <laughs> oh, they'd be so happy to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that uh, that's amazing to hear, you know, that approach. And I think that does make a big difference. I remember being on a job and it was a traditional delivery. And I asked the architect, I said, listen, I know we have this traditional contract and you're working directly for the owner and the client was in the room. I said, just tell me what things that you drew on the building so that I want to make sure I exercise care and the RFIs that I write, because I don't want you to be offended. I'm not picking on you or it's the, you know, if something in the design is lacking and I can't, I can't make the connections, you know, with the, the tradespeople, I'm going to need your help. And the architect, ended up telling me a story didn't and they didn't answer the question by the way <laughs> i didn't find out what they drew until the end of the job oh bummer <laughs> yeah and <laughs> and but the you know they told me that they had, and this was a person who was probably 20 years in the business and they said they learned in school from their architecture professors you are the last hope the last stop to protect the client from those thieving general contractors and contractors. And it's your responsibility to keep the owner safe. And this person took it to heart. 
And I was like, wow, we've come a long way from that to what we're talking about today. Mm. Mm. And I'm glad we're, we're moving away from that. Yeah, absolutely. It makes you want to ask the question, who did this to you? Right. I mean, yeah. there's, there's an experience that was had that, that jaded your perception of that. That's, that's a shame. It is. It is. But, uh, no, it's, uh, I'm looking at the time, Dennis, and we got to, mm-hmm. we got to put a bow in this bad boy. And that just means that we had to have a second conversation at some point in the future. That's all. I'd enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. Please feel free. Yeah. But no, it's been great having you on the show, man. I really appreciate it. I know you're going to inspire a lot of people to pick up that new KPI smiles per hour. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, Felipe, thank you again for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure speaking with you this morning. Likewise. Have a good day, Dennis. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build. <laughs>